Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Seek First Podcast. I'm Rick Brown. We talk about everything here, life, seeking God, biblical truth, today's culture, and whatever is on my guest's radar to unpack. We want to understand what is happening around us. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Let's jump in. I'm so glad you guys tuned in because we're going to have a special time today with our guest, Amala, the co-host of Will and Amala at PragerU. Welcome, Amala. Oh, it's great to be here. Such craziness in our world, right, Amala? I mean, it feels like the, the wheels are coming off. Yeah, I mean, every single day something is getting crazier and crazier, and it's I report on these stories on a daily basis, and the more I see, I just think, where can we go from here? In some way, they always find a way to make it more insane. <laughs> I know. It's something. Everybody for all these years have fled to America to experience freedom, and if this continues, like, where are we going to free, where are we going to flee, Amala, to have freedom? <laughs> because America is the last great hope for liberty. We really are the last bastion. I remember reading or watching an interview with a KGB defector who defected over to America. And he says, you know, if we lose America, if we allow this country to fall, there's nowhere to go after this. So you better fight. <laughs> we better fight. And that's what you and Will are doing at PragerU, a part of a great organization, a conservative talk show with two young people, you and Will. And I know Will, he's like 25. How old are you, Amala? I'm 21. You're 21. So it's so great. This is so inspiring to me because obviously as an older guy, it's so great because most of the young people that I talk to, Amala, especially even people, uh, kids that have grown up and they're in their 20s or 30s now, and they grew mm -hmm. up conservative or uh, whatever their point of reference is, and they're moving to the progressive left. So it's you so know, unusual. And I, I hear that happening to a lot of people. They're going to college or they're meeting friends and they're going to mainstream media and social media and they're constantly being inundated with leftist ideology. It's very hard to keep young people conservative these days. And it's a fight that we continue to battle with every single day. Yeah. And so you came from that position of a left-leaning or you're going to share with us and, yes. and it's almost like you're passing those conservative kids are going to progressive leftism and you're coming right. this direction. And we want to hear that story because to me, that's just fascinating. Some uh, months ago, about four or five months ago, I had your co-host on, Will Witt, and he mm -hmm. had a similar experience because he was far left and then came. And so I, I just am fascinated by that. Um, so let's let's start with your journey. Where'd you grow up, Amla? Sure. So I grew up in a small town uh, called Eustis in Florida, and I was raised by a single mother of three there. So that's where my journey begins. So is that outside of Miami or is it northern Florida or where is Eustis? I always say it's about an hour away from Orlando. That's how I oh. explain <laughs> this to people, because it's very hard to recognize these small towns. Yeah, for sure. So you're raised by a, a single mom. And what is... Um, conservative or liberal, your, your, the home you grew up in? Uh, extremely, extremely left-leaning. So my mother, even now, works for the political left. She does fundraising and development. So you can imagine how excited she is to know what I'm doing today. So I was always raised with that influence from the day I was born uh, until I ended up moving out uh, at 17. So what are the, some of the strong tenets that you grew up, if you're going to be raised in that environment, what are the 
the lessons or the talking points that would be consistent in a, in a uh, left-leaning household. You know what I mean? You're growing up, is it ultra-feminism? Is it, sure. uh, you know, what, what, what are all the, the talking points? I think really the, the foundation of it is oppression and injustice. So I was raised to believe in the great patriarchy that was oppressing me on a day-to-day -day basis. I was told that because I'm black, life was going to be way harder for me than it was for anybody else. Just a lot of stories of struggle, and that's what was instilled in me from a very, very young age. Yeah, and so what's that do? Does that, that produce a uh, <clears throat> resentment or a victim mentality or a uh, kind of like, I'm just mad at the world. What, what's that mm. produce inside of your, you know, your soul when you're, th I you're was, thinking? I was, I always tell everybody, if they had met me even four years ago, I was an angry, angry individual. I was screaming at people about how they were oppressing me. I was angry at conservatives. I thought conservatives were the worst people on earth. I hated America because I thought that it was founded in white supremacy. And you can't help but be angry being told that because you were born the way that you were born, that life is going to be difficult for you. I resented everyone and everything. And it almost takes away any prowess that you have towards success or wanting to be, wanting to pursue your dreams in this country. I mean, you're kind of robbed of the, even the idea of the American dream, right? Because it doesn't exist because of the right, oppression. Exactly. And, 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 you know, we really need hope to move through life with uh, a free heart, don't we? And, and it just seems kind of hopeless with that perspective. Yes. Uh, honestly, if you're going to teach your children that, and not only was my mother teaching me that, but I was hearing it by the media. Every time I logged into social media, I was hearing stories about uh, the oppressive nature of police and of colleges and of the job market. So what is the incentive to do anything or to be anything when you are taught these narratives? There is none. So I felt uh, through much of my young life, in retrospect, that I was sort of robbed of my own agency to pursue my dreams in this country. And it's a narrative that is particularly horrible when it comes to young black and Hispanic children who are taught this from the day they're born, you know, and what what dream are you meant to have if you are told that they're just going to be stripped away from you at any moment by the big and scary white man? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for doing an interview with a big, scary white man. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm terrified at this very moment, Pastor Rick. <laughs> so uh, what happened? You said four years ago, so you're like 17. What, what was the first light bulb or the first motive that, caused you to Ooh. question that narrative? What was the first, like, ding, or what happened? Sure, so I was raised by a white family. I was going into work every single day. Uh, I graduated from high school and started working for the same organization that my mother worked for. So I was a youth organizer, traveling around to different middle schools and high schools, indoctrinating young people, making them into little activists. So I was going into work every day, and we would sit in these meetings, and in these meetings, we do something called community agreements. These community agreements are before the meeting starts, you agree on a set of rules, what you can and cannot say, what you should do during this meeting. If you're feeling offended, you can leave. You know, the sort of safe space stuff that we hear about so often. And one of my coworkers got up 
and she started spouting out these community agreements. And at the end, she said, let's let the most oppressed people in the room speak. That is black people, brown people, LGBTQ people, the whole list. And she finished up by saying to all the white people in the room, don't speak at all. You've had the stage for long enough. We're tired of you. And I remember just thinking, oh my goodness, that sounded racist. How is a side that is so tolerant saying something so racist? And I would go into work every day and work with these people and then go home to my white family that took care of me on a day-to-day basis. And you can't hold those two thoughts in your brain at the same time. Now, how, how are you uh, raised in a white family? Is, is it a biracial relationship, your mom and dad? So is your yes, mom so my, my father my father is a Nigerian immigrant and my mother is oh. white, born and raised here in America. So they got oh, divorced okay. when I was around six years old, so I was raised by my mother and her side of the family. Oh, I see. So mm-hmm. now it all makes sense. I'm like, now wait a right. second, I thought you were raised... Okay, I'm, I'm with you. So it's a biracial situation. And I've yes. always thought this, Amala, everybody that's in a biracial marriage or a biracial relationship or has that kind mm-hmm. of strong family, biracial bond, how can they reconcile these things? You know, whether the dad's white and the mom's black or the black, you know, vice versa, and there's just love or there's relationship, how do you reconcile that? And that's what you're saying. You heard this narrative and then you would go home to a home that you, you were loved and cared for. Exactly. It's very hard to reconcile. And I remember looking around this room and seeing a bunch of white people who worked at this organization just nodding their head, accepting the fact that they had just been called racist and white supremacist, uh, white supremacist and privileged. How can you be working for an organization that battles that and then still accept that that's what you are? And there's so many plot holes in leftism that need to be pointed out and fought. And that was one of them for me. That was one of the light bulb moments for me going through this transition. What would be another one since there's some, you know, mm. basically holes in their ideology? If that's one, what are, what are they, some others? There was a lot. I mean, one in particular was the organization that I worked for advocated for open borders and just allowing anybody into this country who wanted to be in this country. And of course, at first, I was so gung-ho about this. Absolutely, that sounds great. Anybody should be able to pursue their dream. But I started reading these stories about illegal immigration and seeing the rise in sex trafficking, in drugs, in crimes against women. And I thought, how are you advocating for these things because you believe that these people are victims and forgetting all the victims that are born out of your advocacy. And I brought up these concerns to my boss, to my higher ups at this organization, and nobody wanted to answer my questions. So that again was another light bulb moment for me where I had to go, okay, I have all of these questions about what I'm advocating for. And every single day I'm going out and teaching young people about this. I need answers, and nobody wanted to give me answers. Wow. When you really, when you really try, try to search for the truth and people can't dialogue, you, you automatically think, what's up with this? I, I can't work through right. this. Whether it's the issue, because we just watched what happened in Virginia, and part of the momentum that pushed uh, Governor-elect <laughs> uh, Youngkin over the line was mm-hmm. parents advocating in front of the school board against critical race theory because right. hearing some of them, their biracial families, and how are you going to tell my 
my white son or my, you know, I don't care what color your skin is, I would never want a little kid to wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and be ashamed of themselves because of something they can't change. Of course. It's it's really heartbreaking to me. It is heartbreaking. And I think that's where we've sort of entered the space when it comes to critical race theory. If that's a theory that you want to go teach in law schools, by all means, you, you do that. And you let people know that, hey, this is a theory that exists. But to take it to young children and say, this is tried and true. This is fact. You white kids are oppressors. You black kids are oppressed is a really disastrous thing to do in our schools. And I'm hearing stories of white kids coming home to their families and crying about their whiteness. It is just devastating. And it's going to have long-term effects on these children. It really will because of the the indoctrination that's happening. So whether it's this oppressive uh, critical race theory being taught to young children who are impressionable, because if you tell a kid over and over, right, you're the problem, and they start segregating by classroom, segregation's mm-hmm. happening all over again, and it's racism. It's, it's mind-blowing to me. But now right. that, that's going on, and this was a, uh, a real light bulb moment for you. But the other thing that you mentioned is the open borders and what we're seeing with now 2 million people flooding across. It's not immigration. It's an invasion. Yes. But the whole, the whole progressive left, it's not that... And, and unpack this a little bit because you you come from that space to really speak intelligently about mm-hmm. it because you're a part of the we're a part of this organization. It's not failure to secure the border. It is their ideology to have an open border and to let the people flood in. That is their their plan. Right, it is, and I, I think what's going to happen here, we're, we're seeing the worst influx of illegal immigration this country has ever seen, and I think at the very baseline of it, it is a ploy to get new voters in the country and to sort of secure leftism in America for a long time to come, but what the left forgets is that what they advocate for is causing more victims. You say you care about women. What about the women who are being sexually assaulted at the border? You say you care about children. What about the children who are being trafficked across the border? You say you care about drugs in the black community. There are tons and tons of drugs passing across the U.S.-Mexican border. Nobody talks about it. The media doesn't report on it. Social media doesn't talk about it. The left does not even try to talk about it because they know they cannot defend what is happening right now. So, so often they identify a victim, and in this case, it has been illegal immigrants. And they say, you know what? Because you're a victim, I need to advocate for the most radical policy to liberate you. Yet they forget all of the victims that they are creating in the meantime. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So you have... uh you see a couple of things, the oppression of racism mm-hmm. and, and various things. You also see the open borders. Anything else begin to tumble? Because sometimes things, like there's a momentum that happens, like, hey, they're not answering my questions about this. They're not answering my questions about this. Now I'm, I'm still speaking on their behalf, but now I have more questions right. than I have answers. Where yes. was the breaking point, or was anything else added to that momentum? 
I have one more story, and it was being pulled over by a police officer uh, during the time that I was working for this organization. I got pulled over, and I immediately knew the narrative that I had been indoctrinated and brainwashed into thinking, and that was, this police officer wants to kill me. Obviously, completely <laughs> irrational uh, in retrospect, but I freaked out. I was crying, shaking. I turned my phone camera on to record the encounter, and this police officer walks up to me, and he goes, he recognizes what I was what I was experiencing because I'm sure he was watching the news and all of the things that were being said about his profession. So he goes, you know, miss, I don't want to hurt you. I just pulled you over because you were going a little bit too fast. And I went home and thought, that is really weird. I did not just get killed by this police officer. So <laughs> I started again asking questions and the questions didn't get answered. And I had to go to the internet to find answers. And I ended up finding a PragerU video. And the title of that video is Cops Are the Good Guys. I watched it. It went through all the different statistics around policing, police brutality, this whole racialized narrative of policing in America. And none of it held up with the ideology that I had expressed and been taught so far. So I thought, okay, this can't be the only issue that I'm wrong on. Let me keep watching. And I found more videos and I found Larry Elder and I found Tom Soule and I found Dave Rubin. And I started going down this rabbit hole of searching through all the different issues that I had subscribed myself to and realizing I was wrong. And uh, it's, it's a tough journey to go through to realize that in your 18 years of life, everything that you've ever thought and been taught is not uh, not as true as you once thought it was, but it was also liberating to go, okay, I'm not a victim anymore. Wow, this is such this is such great news. I'm not oppressed by patriarchy or racism or white supremacy. And that sort of sparked a massive transformation in my life. So the truth really set you free in that sense that like, hey, there's, Absolutely. Here's, here's all of this reality. But one of the other things that is really avoided in a strong way, and you just mentioned that, you said, I, I mm -hmm. came across this PragerU video. It had all the statistics, all of this stuff. And, and one of the things, the progressive left, when I say, hey, let's look at uh, the statistics, or let's look at the facts, or let's look right. at empirical evidence, they, they usually don't want to hear about facts, empirical evidence. It's, it's all about a, a, uh, just a moral narrative or their own virtue signaling, right, that they have. They have a spiel and, and don't right. mess, don't, don't confuse the issue with facts. <laughs> yes. And that is one of the sort of evil things that is done by the bureaucrats and the elites on the political left. What they do is they appeal to your emotions. When you hear a story of a young black man getting shot by police officers, obviously that strikes something viscerally with you. So yes. you see that. And then the left tells you, well, this happens all the time because police officers are racist. And you think, well, I felt something so strong when I saw that video, it must be true. They don't care about the actual facts. They don't care that nothing that they've just said is true. They care that they've taken a hold over your emotions and have allowed that to brainwash you. And that's what they do with every single issue without fail. Wow. So how long was the journey from you going through this experience, discovering PragerU, you were, cause you were mm. going to schools, you were working for this organization. When did the break right. happen where you no longer wanted to work for this organization because of the things you were discovering and how did that unfold? 
Sure. Uh, it took less than a year. I had started working for the organization uh, in April of, I'm going to say, 20, 2018. By December, I was gone. And it unfolded with a lot of different confrontations with the higher-ups at this organization, again, with no questions being answered. And eventually, it just came to the point where I told them, I can no longer support the work that you're doing and I, I have to leave. So I left that uh, and at the time was sort of between a rock and a hard place. I had left high school instead of going to college, started working for the left. So I thought, well, what am I going to do now? I My ideology has fallen apart, which was the foundation of who I was as a person. If you look on my arm, you probably won't be able to see it from that far away, but there is a, um, there is a BLM fist tattooed on my arm. That is how... Uh, bonded I was with this ideology. I thought, there's no way I will ever deviate from this set of thoughts. Let me brand myself with this sort of pseudo-religion. So uh, as you can imagine, it was a very tough journey. But once I was on the other end of it and I had left the organization, found a new job, I was able to take a deep breath and go, okay, you know, this is a great thing. I don't really have relationships with anybody that I used to work with there anymore. Uh, and my life is much happier and much more positive now. <laughs> well, isn't there, I mean, this is just a genuine quality of life thing, to have hope that you're not oppressed, to have hope that, hey, right. the whole world is in front of me, whatever I want to pursue, this is America, and I know that uh, I, you know, people give me a hard time because I sincerely, I came from nothing, my dad is an ex-con, and mm. I, I mean, I know the American dream, and right. it's, and I like to share that with people, but this whole mm -hmm. entire generation, I have people just look at me and just shake their head like, it doesn't exist. It's not true. It's, you know, uh, and, and it's just sad to me because it, it seems hopeless. It, it is hopeless. And that's what I say to people who disagree with me a lot. A lot of the times they say, you know what, there are two sides to the narrative that's happening right now in this country. There's the side that's telling you you're oppressed, you're a victim, there's nothing you can do about it, you might as well accept it, or at the very least, give me all of your resources, let me control your life, I will fix it for you. And there's the side that goes, no, you can be successful. You're not a victim. You're not oppressed by any systems. You just have to work for it, identify what your dream is and go towards that. And I will support you in that. Which side do you want to be on? And it's so easy to convince somebody of their victimhood and say, well, let me take care of that for you. Give me your money. Give me your resources. Let's institute a big government. And obviously that sounds great. Oh, uh, free college sounds great. No oppression sounds great. Everybody's equal sounds great in theory, but it doesn't work. And you should always fall for the side that's going to say, you're not a victim. Do what you can. You have a dream. You can pursue that dream. Why anybody would want to subscribe themselves to victimhood is beyond me. And, and we see this play out in real life, right? Whatever somebody mm -hmm. believes, what we believe affects our behavior. And right. so if we look at the strongest uh, cities that are blue cities that are controlled by the progressive left, yep. what do we see from their policies in their city, their community? I mean, it's simply, it's destroying these cities. I'm in LA right now, uh, and you can see homelessness, crime, the just rates of just 
utter destruction and degradation of society is very clear. And it's not, uh, you know, it's no coincidence that it is only happening in these progressive run cities. The policies that they, they advocate for are not, are not natural and they do not work. And you can look at several examples. We're not the only ones. Look at Chicago, look at New York City. These cities with these progressive policies and ideologies are falling apart. And that, and that's you just want to. I just want to point to people and say, if you want to believe that narrative, that's the results. So just look at it. Mm -hmm. Go live there. Go live right. in Chicago, the the murder capital of America right now. I mean, right. it's it's unbelievable what's going on because there's a lawlessness, and, that is going on, and they really don't want to do, uh, you know, enforce that. So let's move ahead. You're now working in another job, and sure. um, and I imagine that's. If, if when you moved, left that organization, was that hard on you and your mom's relationship, or is she cool with it, or I mean? Oof. So <laughs> I always say when I first came out of the closet as a conservative, uh, things were things were very difficult for me and my mother. Uh, we had a lot of contentious moments and arguments about different issues, um, and that came to a head as time went by. And I think we just decided we need to salvage this relationship and we need to mm -hmm. do so without politics so now my mother and i are closer than we've ever been we just oh, don't dear. talk politics anymore that's right you're just a mother-daughter right. relationship let's set the other right. stuff aside which is awesome to rescue that relationship that's so important yes so how how i know you watch the prager you um videos and you now have another job how'd you end up there how'd this process happen Yes, so I left the organization and I thought, you know what, I don't want to do anything that's going to get me in arguments anymore. I want a clean cut job. What do I do? I went into medicine because I thought, okay, nobody's going to argue with me about politics or religion and medicine. So let's do that. And I started working in medicine and I would go to my nine to five job and then go home and I would just entrench myself in politics. I was reading all about it, watching videos, listening to lectures, doing every everything I could to learn more about my indoctrination, work myself out of it. So I did that for about a year, year and a half. And uh, in late 2020, I thought, I'm looking around me right now. I see all of these young people who are just as indoctr indoctrinated as I was, just as brainwashed as I was. Somebody needs to help these people. Somebody needs to tell them what the truth is. And I thought, you know, I think I have a unique experience having worked for the left, left the left, done my own research and landing on the other side. Maybe I should start making videos. And I hopped on a platform called TikTok, one of the worst social media platforms to ever exist. Uh, but I started making little conservative videos on them. And I think people were surprised to see somebody who looked like me talking about conservative talking points, because it's not something that we typically see on our side of the aisle. So the videos blew up like crazy. I made one video in particular denouncing the idea of white privilege and it got 10 million views on the platform. So Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, 10 million views, 10 million a lot of hate, views. a lot of people coming at my throat over what I was saying, but also a lot of support. And that particular video landed on several deaths at PragerU and that's how I made my initial relationship with the organization. Wow, that's unbelievable, 10 million right. views. Because when you see a black person making a statement about <laughs> that white supremacy is not a thing, I watched Joy Reid eviscerate uh, Winston Sears uh, mm -hmm. and her and a, a college professor. I was just blown away 
because you really have to have thick skin. If you're going to come out, like you said, out of the closet as a conservative, as Winsome is, who won the lieutenant right. governorship, which the first black woman in Virginia's history, what a great celebration of this moment. But, I mean, you get Uncle Tom to death. You get, uh, like, it's, it's a black face with white racist stuff. Like, Larry Elder right. was, the, the way that he was described as the new face of racism in California, it blows my mind. <laughs> It's just ridiculous, and they will find any loophole that they can, any sort of uh, linguistic trick they can to invalidate black conservatives because they know it's a powerful it's a powerful person that they can't truly fight against along the lines of ideology and actual ideas. So they have to try to invalidate you in some other way. Yeah, yeah, they have to they have to stop. They don't want that momentum to take off because right. just by you doing that, having 10 million views, if you would have just been continuing the rhetoric of the organization you were involved with, you wouldn't have got 10 million views because like, everybody's pushing that narrative. So it's very right. obviously very unique. So that's, I mean, I'm just so proud of you to, because you have to go through such a fight to step up in that oh. way, Amala. So you Thank got some you. guts, girl. You got some brass. <laughs> so uh, way to go. I'm, <laughs> it's very yeah. uh, inspiring and courageous. Thank and you. young people have to have other young people to look up to that, hey, Amala survived that coming out uh she and she survived hard questions that got no answers mm -hmm. and she went and found the truth somewhere and so right. you your videos land on the desk at prager U, and then mm -hmm. they reached out to you to uh do something personally or do some videos how did the thing happen with you and will coming together Sure. Yeah. So uh, one of the people at Prager, you reached out to me and said, you know, let's get on a call together. Tell me your story. And I told her my story very quickly. And she said, you know what? Uh, let's skip ahead a little bit. We're doing a casting call to find the next Will Witt. And I think you'd be great for it. So my video circulated through their marketing team uh, and through the, the executives at PragerU. And they said, come on down to L.A. So I came to L.A. to film my story and then a separate video with Will where we met each other and funny enough, our first video was us exchanging conservative pickup lines to each other for a Valentine's Day video. So this is my first time meeting Will, and uh, we hit it off. Chemistry was was good. I ended up doing my Stories of Us video, and that video did really well on PragerU's platform. So within the next week, they said, you know, here's a job offer. Come on out to LA. Come do your thing here. And I left my job, moved out to LA to do this, and Will and I sort of stumbled on the the sort of live stream uh, show that we do now just by doing random videos where we talked about what was happening in the news. Those videos did really well. People were really receptive to two young conservative voices uh, just standing apart from each other and talking about the issues of the day. So we thought, let's make this into a daily show. So now we have Will and Amal live every single day. That's so exciting. That's awesome. And, it is. And just, just hearing the joy that you have doing this, what a difference in, in experiencing this. It wasn't your goal, but you began to pursue what your heart's interest was. Right. And uh, now you're in this place of ex extreme fulfillment. I mean, I can hear it in your voice. There's just a fulfillment in what you're doing. It's so, it is so crucial what you two are doing to be those young voices and the young guns for a conservative voice. And because when, you know, there's only... You, you get a platform to be able to speak because you're that age to this generation. And so that's yeah, just really exciting. 
I'm just I'm just very lucky to be able to do what I do. I, I talk about my former self a lot, and my former self was just so angry and distraught and resentful because when you work for the left and even when you subscribe to that ideology, you wake up every day searching for injustice and wrongdoing. And you can imagine the toll that it takes on you psychologically to do that every day. And now I get to wake up and go, well, I can save more people from this. I can wake up more people from this brainwashing and I'm going to strive every day to do that. And it's something that I'm very passionate about. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a very lucky individual. It's like a rescue mission for the rest of your life for America. Really you have job is. security. Really you really have job security because this problem's not going away. Because oh, it's, I know it. It's ramped up. And so, what are anything else that's really on your radar just in the last couple of weeks that have really mm -hmm. struck you as bizarre from the left or really good news from the right as far as conservative things? What's been going on lately that has really been kind of churning around inside of you? You know, I think we have a really big fight up ahead, particularly when it comes to vaccines and vaccine mandates. I think there is a, a massive effort right now to stratify our society along those lines, uh, the lines of people who choose to be cowards and alienate people and take away their liberty, and people who are fighting for liberty, whether you are vaccinated or unvaccinated. I truly don't care in that respect. I care that you value liberty. I think that's the biggest fight that we have up ahead. Uh, I have seen some big wins in the past couple of weeks. You mentioned Virginia. That was a really big win for both Yunkin and Sears. So I think the tides are turning. I think as the left gets more ridiculous, uh, as the as the idiocy gets brought to the forefront a little bit more with their ideology, I think people are going to start fighting back against it. Because at some point, what you advocate for is just so insane that a, a typical reasonable person can no longer support you. So I think the tides are turning in large part. I hope to see that in in the more progressive cities like Chicago, like New York City, like LA, uh, but the fight is still ahead. And to all the people who are scared to speak up about what they believe, don't be. You have you have a fight ahead. It is going to be exhausting. It is going to be difficult. No one said that it would be easy, but it is worth it. It is worth it, and it's so it's so encouraging to have a clear vision of the future because that is right now the the violation of our liberties are just coming at us hard and fast. Right. Whether it's the, you know, the vaccine mandate. Once again, we here at uh, our Liberty Station, we're not pro-vax or anti-vax. We're pro-liberty. Mm -hmm. we, we want you to have the choice. Right. And right. I've had COVID. So according to the study out of Israel, I have 27 times the immunity. And uh, right. nobody wants to acknowledge that because it's science. <laughs> uh, but science. We, science, really? I mean, it's kind of bizarre now, the people lying to us or whatever's going on. So... Um, any programs that, or tours or speaking things that uh, you're doing here in the um, near future? Uh, not not quite yet. We've got a few things set up with uh, PragerU where we're just sort of traveling around trying to amass donors to support what we do here and support our videos. We are largely funded by just average Americans who recognize the problems and say, hey, I want to I support an organization that is making educational videos, trying to reach people of all walks of life here in America to wake them up. So uh, what I'm really doing now is just doing this daily show with Will, working on other social content for young people and uh, putting that at the forefront of the work that I do every day. How can people donate or how can people follow you? What's your address? And uh, give them so people can reach out and help Amala with the work sure. you're doing. 
yeah, you can watch all of our videos at PragerU.com. If you'd like to donate, go to PragerU.com slash donate. If you want to follow me, uh, I'm at the Amala Epinobi, which is a rough one to type on the old keyboard, but <laughs> I'm on uh, under that moniker on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any platform you can think of. Well, we're, I'm just so excited to know you personally, and I'm so proud of you and Will and the work you're doing. You guys are courageous, and you're just crushing it, girl. So you just keep going, and oh. uh, we're going to cheer you on. Thank you so much, Pastor Rick. It's been a pleasure being on the show today. God bless you. We'll see you next time. We'll have you again. Absolutely. Hey, till next time, you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Light in the darkness, I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, 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 whoa. Fear in times of trouble, I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, 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 whoa,